We are The Table and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope that this message moves you forward. For you to take away. Last week, we talked, that, talked about the fact that dysfunctional families don't show each other grace. Dysfunctional families don't show each other grace. And so we looked at Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, where he's talking about this thorn that is in his side and this pain and this hurt that he has. And he says that he prayed to God and he asked God to remove that thorn. And God's response to him each time that he prayed for the hurt to be removed, God told him that his grace was sufficient. And he told him, essentially, when you are hurt and when you are weak, that is when I show up and I show out. Somebody should have said amen to that. Because sometimes we go through some things and it really hurts. Can I say it to you this way? Don't tell nobody I said this. It sucks. And sometimes when we are at those low points, it seems like we want that thing to be removed. And what God was telling Paul and what Paul was attesting to that, man, he felt God's power most in his point of weakness. We talked about the different kinds of hurt. We talked about how when something physically hurts, it messes with our mentality and our mind. When our mind is under attack, our emotions become a mess. When our emotions are in shambles, you better believe that we lack spiritual discipline. It's hard to be spiritually disciplined when you're going through some stuff. Anybody know about that? As, as much as you love Jesus, if stuff is going wrong in your life, it is the hardest thing to do is to pray. The most annoying thing is for somebody to say, well, just wait on Jesus. And I need something to happen right now. Amen? So we talked about that. But there is something that I warned you about, and that is the simple fact that without spiritual discipline, your mind and your body and your soul are at risk. And we talked about in dysfunctional families, it hurts worse when your family is the one who causes the hurt. You can be hurt a lot of ways, but when somebody in your family, your blood... You're the person that's supposed to care for you, take care of you. The, the one that's supposed to make your day ruins your day. That's real strong hurt. And I gave you this example. At the end of service, when I believe wholeheartedly that the enemy wanted to disrupt this connection that we were having. And I gave you an example of a child who does not know how to read, but they read. And I gave you this example that a kid, if you've ever seen a kid who does not know words yet, some of them sit down, and because they've heard the story multiple times, they can sit down and from memory read the book. Then I gave you the example of the other kid who at least knows enough to read, but they will sit there and make it up as they go. That's how dysfunction in our family sometimes goes, right? We're either going to do what we've been taught or we're going to wing it and make it up as we go. And the risk is when dysfunction is in the, in, the, in the pits of your family, there's much danger in just going along either way with what you've learned or making it up as you go. So, on today's episode of Family Feud, 
myself and I, me, myself, and I, I surveyed a hundred dysfunctional people. <laughs> I don't even need to go further because y'all got that. <laughs> I want to give you a definition that we are working with and we're going to work with for the rest of the month. And I need you to take, do whatever you got to do. Take a picture of this. Remember it, remember it, remember it, remember it, because I'm going to refer to it throughout the day today and for the rest of the month. But I'm going to challenge you to really internalize this definition of dysfunctional. Y'all ready? Dysfunctional. It's something that is not functioning like it was designed to function. It still works but it is working in a way that causes harm to the system or the family that it belongs to. Let's do that one more time. Dysfunctional. Something that is not functioning like it was designed to function. It still works, but it is working in a way that causes what? Harm to the system or the family that it belongs in. So as we look at a dysfunctional family, if we look at a dysfunctional system, a dysfunctional unit, it works, but it's causing more harm than it is good. And I think that sometimes we have allowed the abnormal to become normal. I think sometimes we have to take a glance at what does it mean to be dysfunctional? And if you think you're not, or if you think that your family is not, to God be the glory for you. But I want to give you some insight either to yourself or to those around you. As there are probably educators in this room. There are parents in this room. There are other people who deal with other people. Any of you isolated and don't talk to nobody, never? Chances are you're dealing with some level of dysfunction. You know how I know? That's where you say, how do you know? Because God designed the world to be good and function a certain way. I don't want you to miss this. He designed the world to function a certain way. So that means if he designed it a way and then something happens to disrupt or disturb the way he functioned, it doesn't mean that it goes away. It just means that it's operating in a way that it wasn't intended. I just gave you the definition. So that means that the things that we see and the things that we're dealing with in the world that we're living in, you have to recognize that a lot of what you're seeing is a world filled 
with something that God did not intend, and it's still functioning, but it's not working the way he designed it. Ooh, we're going to have church today. So I talked to you about the Apostle Paul last week. And Apostle Paul really, really resonates with me because he's, he's one person that we get to see that's constantly doing this comparing and contrasting. And the way that he shares the gospel, he talks a lot about his journey, his conversion, his change. And we can see very clearly in the Bible things that was before and things that are after. And when it comes to the way that we see things and the way that we make things normal, it's very interesting in a place of dysfunction. Because then we try to take on things, we try to fix things, we try to fight things, or we try to survive them when it wasn't us that created the dysfunctional mess. And it's not ours to resolve. So Paul, in Galatians chapter 1, he's, he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, these, he says these things. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. But instead, I received it by a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know, you know what I was like when I followed in the Jewish religion. How violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Paul does something here as a leader and as a fellow, as a fellow follower of Christ that you and I have a hard time doing. He actually has shared his used to be story. He was not afraid to talk about what he was like before Christ. Because in order for other people to get it, I can tell you all I want. I can give you this example. I can walk around with, with, my, with, with, my, with my preacher hat on and my jacket on the back that say, the number one pastor. I would never do that. I'm just using that as an example. I can do it. I can, I can show you. I can tell you what I want. But, 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 but Paul does something that the modern day believer has a hard time doing. And that is reflecting on where Jesus brought us from. So he is very quick to reference his before Christ self, and he's not hesitant at all to share his after Christ self. And I think it's very interesting because like you, if you would let him work it out for you, you will see how similar his before Christ self is to his after Christ self, except there's one major change that with Jesus, it gives it purpose. So we see here right off the bat that Paul, he says in the text, I think it's crazy, and, and maybe this is just the way that I read, but in verse 13, he says, you know what I was like. But when I'm with, when, when I'm with my friends, right, and we all married with kids now, right? 
But when we by ourselves, me and my, my good friends, not all my friends, but my good friends, you know, the good ones that was there with you, the before Christ you, lie to yourselves. I'm not going to lie to you. And we had those moments where we start laughing just out of the blue. And we say, now you know what it was like when we used to See, the you know has emphasis on it because he's like, look, you ought to know the thing that I'm sharing with you is not fake, it's not phony, it's real because you knew where I came from. You was there with me before Christ. You knew all about me before I knew Jesus. You knew when he was, so let me witness to you from a place of where I've been so you understand where I'm trying to get to. So Paul's life, I think, is crazy because in the before Christ part of Paul, he was an all or nothing kind of guy. He was anti-Christian. He was so anti-Christian, when Stephen was being stoned, Paul was like the dude who was like, oh, you going to throw a stone to kill this man? Let me hold your jacket so you can get your full range of motion. Now, this is, this is scripture. I'm not trying to be funny. This was Paul, like, oh, you need a rock? Let me give you what you need to kill a man for his beliefs. Paul was highly prejudiced. What do I mean by that? What does prejudice mean? He, hey, you talking all this, this God, Christ, Jesus stuff. Not over here, you not. He killed people because of their declaration of their faith. He was violent. He had no compassion. Paul was the kind of dude that was ready for war. He was ready for a good fight. You got any friends like that? Can't take them nowhere. Every time we go out. See, this is what Paul's characteristics were before Christ. But get this, after Christ, he was an all or nothing kind of dude. Except he was all or nothing for Jesus. He was still fearless, but he wasn't scared of anything because he was full of trust in the Lord. After Jesus... He had no prejudice because he understood how important it was to spread the gospel and the good news. That's why he took his assignment as God talked to him that he went from place to place to place to preach the gospel and to share with others the gospel. And he realized how important it was that anybody who heard the gospel would be saved. He had extreme compassion, but this is where it hits home and what you need to know about today. Paul was still ready for a good fight, but he understood that this fight was spiritual. He understood that what he was up against in the world and what the Christian, what the Christ follower, what the Jesus jammer, the Bible reader, the, the follower of Christ, whatever you want to call them, the, you, he understood that when you committed your life to Christ and you made a decision for Christ, you are going to be up for the fight of your life, but it is not going to be one in the parking lot, like after the club or after the party, like some of y'all, some of us used to be dealing with, it, it, it becomes something of spiritual nature. A warfare that you are in a fight and you don't even realize what it is. 
See, dysfunctional families fight. I had a cousin who was married. Her and her husband, ooh, they loved each other so much. Their first dance at the wedding was awesome. The party afterwards was even better. I visited my cousin's house one time, and these two people that love each other so much, one of them asked the other to bring him a glass of water. He said no, and she took the phone and beat him over the head with it. And after his head bled, he got something, and he wiped it away. He went and got her some water. And she took it. She tasted it, said it was too warm. Hit him over the head again. He went back. He tried it again. He finally got the temperature on the water right. And then he said, I love you, baby, and kissed her. And she kissed him back and said, I love you, too. I'm talking about dysfunctional. Now, that may be something that, that's a true story, by the way. But I'm talking about dysfunctional. I'm talking about how people love each other. They do things for each other. Okay. They uh, have compassion for each other, kind of, but there's some stuff in there that don't work and something is broken because the way this is supposed to work, it's working. But it's creating harm. It's creating confusion. Dysfunctional something that is not functioning like it's designed to function, but it still works. And it's working in a way that's causing harm in the system or the family. See, we need to understand that there is a day after dysfunction, but that day comes when Christ starts. The day that, that, that we're anticipating about whatever our family's dysfunctions are, whatever our dysfunctions are, the thing, because you do realize that we wake up every single day, me, myself and I, processing and working and walking in a world that we're trying to make sense of all of the things that's happening around us. And it ain't always what we see on the news. Sometimes it's the side of the bed you got up on. I love that saying, must have got up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't know, I'd have had some days every which way and came out the same exact way. I'm starting to believe I don't, I don't know what the problem is half of the time. Why? Because it is a, it, we have to recognize what's controlling. Pastor Jeannie talked about control earlier in giving. See, if you look hard enough, you realize that there are some things that we are trying to control, and unless we allow God to control it, we're going to allow the enemy to speak into it. Either God is controlling it or the enemy is controlling it because as long as he puts a little bit of doubt in there, a little bit of reasoning, sprinkle a little bit of 
himself. Then he can get us to do what we want instead of what God wants. My brother, the Apostle Paul, shares some insight to what this is. And he explains in Romans chapter 7, he says, when we are, there was a time when we were controlled by our old nature. You know, the things that we just in us. See, he's talking about sin. He says, sinful desires were at work. When evil desires produce the harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But with Christ, we have been released. And we're no longer captive to the power of sin. Instead, there's a new way of living in the spirit of God. And then he says this in verse 13. He says, sin used, to, sin used what God, I'm sorry, sin used what was good to bring about death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. We can see it. We can see it. Sin used what was good to bring about death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good command for his own evil. So in other words, if family is something that God ordained, how do I know that he ordained family? How do I know that he ordained companionship? I'm really good that, glad that you asked because the Bible records once he created the first man, he acknowledged that it was not good for man to be alone. So he created him a companion, a help me, and then he instructed that companion and help me them together to join forces and to be fruitful and to multiply. That meant that they would become the mother and the father of offspring who would ultimately continue to populate the earth. He told them to have a family. The family was there to bring honor. How do I know that the family was there to bring honor? Because God said, and he gave the first man dominion over everything that he created because he wanted his greatest creation, man, to inherit all the things that he did for what? The glory of God. Therefore, he intended for family and people to bring him glory. So he included that, and he wanted family to be something of honor Love, prosperity, and glory to God. But enter sin. And what God meant for good, sin manipulated. See, sin takes the function of family. And it disturbs it disrupts it, and hopes to disassemble it, throwing one disaster after another so that we become distracted and disobedient and disengaged from God and one another, and all that's left is a culture living in dysfunction headed toward destruction. Here we are, sin enters the picture, and creates a space for dysfunction 
to settle in. God intended for the family to be a boost, and instead it's a barrier. God intended family to be a help, but instead it's a hindrance. See, I'm not, I don't stand before you to dog out your brother. What I want you to understand as we're continuing this journey of what it means to be dysfunctional is that we have to question our own existence. Why am I here? Why are you here right now in this place listening to this man tell you about the things that may be disturbing you and creating drama in your circle of influence? Why? Because if you don't learn, if we don't learn to look at ourselves through God's intended lens for us, we will continue to get it wrong in our personal life. We will continue to get it wrong in our relationships. We will continue to get it wrong in our community. We will continue to get it wrong in places of leadership. We will continue to get it wrong on a national level, an international level, a global level. We will continue to get it wrong because we are not accepting who we're supposed to be. And our function, oh, it still works. You're still doing your thing. But if we're not walking in our purpose and we don't really understand it, could we be doing more harm than good? Paul continues and he says something that I think is super important. Somebody, we have to understand in Romans 7, he goes on, he keeps saying, he says, look, I'm on this journey. And every time I try to do something good, it's like I can't. It's like something keeps coming up. I'm on this good journey, and I want to do right, but I don't. I want to be different, but I can't. I love God, but there's something within me that is at war in my mind. He says, I, I love God, but there is something in me that when I need life, I keep sensing death. There is something in me that keeps getting in the way, even though I've already decided to love Jesus. I've already decided to commit my life. I've already decided to train up my, my kids. I've already, then why won't this thing just leave me alone? Because we're living in a dysfunctional world. That will give you every reason to think that there is no God or that God is not real or that God is not strong enough or that Jesus is ineffective. I'm here to tell you there's nothing wrong with Jesus. He did his part on the cross at Calvary. He did his part when he died and was resurrected for us. He did his part already. He don't have to die again. He did it. And the fact that he was resurrected, it was already done. He said these words as he laid his head. It is finished. He wasn't talking about his life. He was talking about our enslavement to dysfunction. 
He was talking about right then and right there, no matter where you came from, no matter where you've been, no matter what comes up against you, no matter what weapon is formed, it will not prosper. No matter what, you declare the name of Jesus who died for you. How can we sit down on a Jesus who got up on the cross for us? He says this at the end of that, in the seventh chapter of Romans, after all this acknowledgement of this battle between him, me, myself, and I, you, yourself, and you, he said, but thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This brings to my remembrance a story I just want to share with you real quick. This is a show of hands. I guess, ladies, if you have already had children, this is a no-brainer, so I'm not really talking to you, but I guess you can participate. How many of you have ever been in the delivery room when a baby is being born? There's something very interesting about the delivery room. I am convinced that the reason that baby cries, that agonizing cry, it's a cute cry, but it's a real strange cry, that first baby cry. See, I'm convinced that the reason the cry sounds like that and the reason it comes out that way and the reason it's so important that we hear it is because that baby has just been torn away from everything that it has come to know. Everything that it has become comforted in, all those months in mommy's womb, it has heard outside noises, it's heard certain sounds, it's had certain comforts, it's received certain nutrients, and that baby was just fine the way it was. And then when it's time for the baby to be born, we change the environment in a way that they themselves have no control over. And so they, they come out and everything is happening and all of a sudden there's all this extra noise and everything is louder and there's lights and there's people tugging at them and I'm sure their poor little bodies are freezing and they're going through all this and they, and they yell out that, that very first baby cry. And if you could just imagine the sound of that cry, and I think it's very interesting because at the sound of that cry, the doctor then professes that there was a successful delivery. But the reason that everybody holds their breath until that first cry, and there's such a sigh of relief because that is the most traumatic experience for this baby. To come from the place of comfort and all of this is happening at once and it doesn't know what to do and it doesn't understand and everything is happening and everything is just going crazy. It's so traumatic. But after the trauma, it's a successful delivery. See, beloved, what's rooted in 
dysfunction is trauma. And all of our trauma needs to be delivered. Deliverance is the answer to the trauma. Deliverance is the fix to the dysfunction. All of our trauma and all of our deliverance, it starts with you and it starts with Jesus. Dear God, we thank you right now for this moment. For this moment, we have stood together and the hearts of your people have been flooded. Your throne has been flooded with the concerns of our hearts. But God, we take these 10 seconds to say thank you in advance for all that you do. Thank you, God, for being God. Thank you, God, for answering prayers. Thank you, God, for what you have done. Thank you, God, for the before us that you saved us from. Thank you, God, we give you glory for all that you've been to us when we could not be good to ourselves, when we didn't know enough of ourselves. Saved us, you've given us evidence that we can draw from now. That as we pray and we aspire for righteousness, Lord, your, your word says the prayers of the righteous avail as much. Today we come before you, simple vessels, to ask you to continue in your faithfulness. You are so good, you are such a good God, that every prayer that has gone forth, we know that it can prosper, we know that they don't fall on deaf ears. Know that you cannot turn away from yourself or deny yourself. In the name of Jesus, we bring our petitions to you. In the name of Jesus, we bring our families to you. In the name of Jesus, we bring our healing to you. In the name of Jesus, we give you all the dysfunction of our lives, all of the trauma of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we declare victory over ourselves, victory over our flesh, victory over our sins. You can do it. You will do it. You've already done it. God, let us walk into the light. Let us walk into the light that you have for us in the name of Jesus. For we declare you are the most high God. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Oh, hallelujah. Because you are, we can be. May you be blessed. And may you be glorified. This is our prayer. And this is our petition. Lord, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And as you begin to make your way back to your seat, I just want you to find somebody, high-five them, hug them, remind them Jesus is Lord. Tell them, you tell them you got this. You got this. You walk past somebody, you tell them you got this. You got this. You got this because Jesus got you. You got this because Jesus has you. Every hour and every day we need him. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.